If you would please turn to the book of Hebrews. Or the sermon of Hebrews. Or the letter of Hebrews. Whatever genre it actually is. We're continuing on with what we were doing before in discussing um, Abraham or Genesis more broadly and its use in the New Testament. Uh, A lot of that happens in the book of Hebrews. I don't know if we will go through all of Hebrews. Um, We'll see. But a lot of it uses Genesis extensively for for its theological reflection. And uh, we will today... Lord willing, here's the plan for the next few weeks. Uh, Today we will cover Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 in brief to basically outline the argument. Uh, Next Lord's Day we will break from Hebrews because uh, Elliot asked me a question a few weeks ago and I'm going to answer his question. And so we we will do that. And then... After that, we will come back to Hebrews 1 and 2. Uh, There are some very interesting and important theological uh, statements made in these first two chapters of Hebrews. And so we will dwell on some of those, and I will point some of those out as we go through. So, Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, and if we have time, uh, some reflections on how the author of Hebrews, whoever he is, uh, is using the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so he's setting up a contrast. And this, you will notice, as you've probably noticed and heard before, uh, the book of Hebrews is filled with contrasts. It's, it's the, the whole point, it seems, of the book of Hebrews is to contrast Jesus with other things. Um, and he starts here in the very beginning. Um, and he's, generally speaking, going to contrast Jesus with other good things. All right? And so it's, it's usually not Jesus and a bad thing. It's Jesus and a good thing. Saying there was this good thing, and now Jesus is better than this thing that we thought was so good. And we see that here. The fact that God spoke in many times in many ways to the fathers through the prophets is actually a very good thing. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Were the prophets great? Absolutely. Did the prophets create the world? No. Did the prophets all right, inherit all things and rule over all things? No, they did not. But in fact, the Son was appointed to be heir of all things, and through whom God the Father created the world. More about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. Were the prophets witnesses to God's nature and character? Absolutely. Were they the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature? No. And they certainly did not uphold the universe by the word of their power. This is uh, Jesus alone. After making purification for sins, another thing the prophets themselves did not do, even though they were sometimes involved in the priestly sacrifices and so forth, 
But after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. All right, and this, and at this he transitions into what is going to be his first topic of contrast. He is going to focus on the difference between God and the angels. For verse five, to which of the angels did God ever say, "You are my son; today I have begotten you"? That is a quote from the Psalms. We just we just read that. Or again, I will be a father to him. And he shall be a son to me. This is from, if I recall correctly, Second Samuel. This is from uh, God's uh, promise, essentially, about the Davidic covenant. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Not something spoken to angels. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says... He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So the Son of God comes into the world, and the angels are supposed to worship him. All right, but what about angels? Well, he's their ministers. All right, they are much lower than Christ Himself. But of the Son, He says, "Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of Your kingdom." You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth at the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So in other words, this is a reference to the Son himself. In other words, he's calling the Son Lord, all right, and he's saying Lord, all right. And this is a this is something that you would normally speak of in the God of the Old Testament. You think God the Father? Well, no, no. He is definitely applying this to Jesus Himself, because now he turns and says, "And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet?" None, as a matter of fact. Only to uh, the King did God ever say this. Only to the King. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Right? Uh, and so basically, he stops here. Well, what's the purpose of angels? Right? What's the purpose of angels? They are sent to minister to those who are to inherit salvation. Uh, different wording, but almost the same exact thing is said at the end of chapter 2. Right? We'll get to that here in a second. In a more, if we should say, uh, Genesis way, Genesis Genesis way, at the end of, of Hebrews chapter two or towards the end. So the first chapter, right? He begins with contrasting the son with the prophets, and then runs into a very lengthy discussion of all right the son versus the angels with a lot of Old Testament quotations, and uh, I think we'll have some time to read some of those today and reflect on them. But let's continue on before we do that. Because let's get the argument, let's get the flow of, of Hebrews. Alright, because of this, because of the fact that angels are uh, less than the sun, because they were never promised a throne, alright? They are not eternal, alright? So all these things that are, they're, they're lesser. Angels were never, weren't given these things. Chapter 2. 
Therefore, all right, so this argument is going, is building off of that one, all right? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Why? Why is that therefore? What's the therefore therefore? Right. If you hear something from an angel, is that important? Yes. If you hear something from the sun, is that as important as what the angel said? No. It's more important, right? We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since, all right, and this is where he's going to make that argument, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, Okay. Uh, if we think back to the idea that the message proclaimed, I mean, the angels proclaimed general messages that happened very often. Also, the angels were a mediator of giving the law. All right, so that would definitely be in mind as well. All right, so if you think about all the times that the angels came and spoke to the people of God in the Old Testament, including the giving of the law itself and their involvement there, they they proved to be reliable. All right. So since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of that message, or disobedience to that message, received a just retribution. What's retribution mean? Payback. Payback. All right. And uh, it can have a positive sense, uh, but here is clearly more of a negative, right? Retribution. How shall we? So if if... If they were trustworthy, all right, if they were trustworthy in all the messages that they gave that God gave through them, all right, if they were trustworthy and if you disobeyed them and uh, there was retribution because God sent them to give those messages, if all of that is true, how shall we escape? All right, if you got punished for that, how shall we escape? If we neglect such a great salvation, and in there he's not talking about the angelic message, he's talking about the message that comes through Christ. All right. If that was bad for you to reject angels, how much worse? All right. To reject the salvation that comes through the King. It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. In verse 3, when it says it was declared first by the Lord, whom are we talking about? Jesus, right? Right, because He's contrasting. The angelic witness versus the witness of Jesus himself here. So, and we'll see. And, we, and how, how do we prove that? I think that makes sense in the argument. So let's go through it. It was declared at first by the Lord. All right. So if we're talking about a difference between the angelic witness and the Jesus witness, all right, then who would be the first one who declared the witness of Jesus? I mean, you might can argue, okay. Some of the people at Jesus' birth, right? But clearly the point here is, who, who declared the gospel first? Well, Jesus, really. He was, he was the one who was inaugurating the kingdom of God. It was declared at first by the Lord, all right? And then who's the next? And it was attested to us by those who heard, which is 
right? The, the 12 and the other disciples, right? It was, he spoke it, and then it was attested to us by the 12. And this probably is, I, I think, probably broader than just the 12, but just generally the people in Jesus's, that were affected by Jesus' ministry. But at the very least, the 12, for sure. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So think Acts. Think the early church. And so the author of Hebrews here is saying, okay, the, um, the, the message to the angels was proved always reliable and retribution was given to those who did not listen to those things. However, uh, the witness of Jesus is greater than that. All right? And, not, and where do we get this witness what do we know about this witness? Well, Jesus himself, the followers of Jesus himself, the words that they heard and that they bore witness to. All right. And what else bears witness to that? Miracles, signs, all right, gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right. All bear witness. And so if, if, an, if an angel says something and you, dis, and you disobey it, don't listen to it, that's bad. Um, but the witness of Christ, the message of Christ, was confirmed in multiple ways. A, by his ministry and by his speech. B, by his disciples, repeated, confirmed. And C, also confirmed by miracles and gifts of the Spirit. All right? So God did not just send messengers. All right? God confirmed those messages as he often did with the, with the prophets. He confirmed those messages by signs and miracles which happened often in the book of Acts for example and then the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will so also the gifts of God the gifts of the Spirit that work within the church as people work that is are also confirmations of Jesus' work Jesus continued work in his people and his message alright so where does it go next Verse 5, for it was not to angels, so he's going to return, that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Of which we are speaking. All right, what are we talking about? We're talking about the world to come. Okay. It has been testified somewhere. All right. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? And I assume he knew where it was. All right. Uh, Maybe he didn't remember the number, or maybe he's just saying it was just as it was testified somewhere. You'll get it. You've read the Psalms too. Not sure. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. All right. We'll, we'll probably want to spend a little bit more, more time on this later. But generally, wait, where does this come from? All right, this comes from the Psalms. He's quoting the Psalms a lot here. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. All right? So he's using this psalm as a part of his argument. He left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. 
But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Okay? Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. All right, so let's think through some of those things there. And so, Jesus, higher than the angels or lower than the angels, generally speaking? Higher than the angels. We see him for a little while, right? And that's the, that's the key part of that, verse 9. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels, all right? He was made lower than the angels for a little while. Are we higher or lower than the angels? I can think it kind of depends on what we mean and when, all right? There's... In some ways, we are higher, and that's kind of the point, uh, one of the points of the book of Hebrews. We are higher and more important than angels, actually. Um, yeah, we will judge angels, uh, for sure, as Paul says. All right? And we will see, before we get done with this chapter, we, we see how the angels are actually ultimately lesser than we are. Uh, here, right, Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels, um, so that, essentially, this is the incarnation, so that he could die. Crowned with glory and honor, all right, after death. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. This is verse 9. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. A major topic of the book of Hebrews, if you don't know, is this. It is the nature of Jesus' work as high priest, as a self-sacrificial high priest who gives his life as as a sacrifice for the people so that he might taste death for them. All right, and so Jesus, for a little while, was made lower than the angels. All right, now uh, everything was, is subjected to Christ, but for a little while, he was lower so that he might taste death. Verse 10, for it was fitting, and this is something we're going to be spending some time on, all right, not today, but we will be soon, and I want you to think about it. What does it mean? For it being fitting. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, um, actually, no, this would be actually, um, this would be God the Father in this case, actually. For it was fitting that he, God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons of glory, should make the founder. All right? So this is God the Father in action here. Should make the founder of their salvation. All right, perfect through suffering. Another theological point we will be spending time on, because uh, that is a very interesting point, and this shows up in other places as well. And so theologically, I want us to understand that. We'll come back to it. For so it's fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, or at least I assume that he is the Father, because it then talks about him uh, um, making the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified... All have one source. What does that mean? We will also spend more time on that too. Right now we're just getting a lot of the argument. All right. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, and yet again he quotes from the Old Testament, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver 
all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Is the devil the only one who has the power of death? No, he's not the only one who has the power of death. Um, I think right here, basically the idea is here, what's, what's the worst power that, death, that, that Satan has? Well, it's, it's death. It's the worst thing that Satan can ultimately do to you, all right, is bring about death. All right. Um, do we have a solution for that? And the answer is ultimately yes, we do have a solution for that. Resurrection. All right. And so Christ can ultimately defeat the one who has the power of death all right, by resurrecting the people that he kills. All right. Now, there's also spiritual death that, of course, the devil wants to bring about as well. Can Christ defeat spiritual Spiritual death. Yes, absolutely. He does so in all of his people. And so in, in all of these ways, and of course, will he ultimately defeat the one who has the power of death by actually punishing him? And that's also true. So in so many ways, Christ is in fact the one who defeats the one who has the power of death. But perhaps we'll talk more about that. Verse 15, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That would be us, obviously. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. You know, sometimes ask the, people ask the question, can fallen angels be saved? All right. Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever heard someone ask that question? Um, our general answer is no, right? Because theologically speaking, um, all, all sin needs some sort of satisfaction, all right? Either the destruction of the one who commits the sin or someone to substitute for them, Christ. Who does Christ help? It says here, who he doesn't help, all right? For surely it is not angels that he helps. Alright? Jesus did not come to help angels. He did not die for angels. He did not come to aid them in fixing their problems. Alright? I think we're talking specifically salvifically here. Alright? Does, does the Father help the good angels? Uh, yeah, well, sure. You know, he's, they're in a war. And I'm, he certainly helps them. But we're talking about redemption here, and I think. And does, does, does Jesus redeem angels? No. He did not come to redeem angels. He helps the offspring of Abraham, which ties us back to Genesis. All right? You think back to that plan, all right? that plan that happened way before this. All right? Way before this. Angels, all right, Jesus was sent ultimately to help the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, when we read a second ago that for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. All right. 
this is something that we will have to come back to. And this is, this is a major topic in, in the book itself. Because we see that basic notion right here. Um, verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? <coughs> Excuse me. Why is that necessary? We will, we will discuss. What does propitiation mean? It is definitely related to offerings, yes. It generally talks about the removal of wrath, right? Pacification, Pacification of anger. It's generally how I, I hear it uh, described. For go, but, so that what was he? He was a, ha- a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, not for angels. All right, not for angels, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So at the very least, from a it is suitable standpoint, from a it is fitting standpoint, all right? At the very least, which we will add on to later, it is fitting that Christ all right, be made a man so that he can, all right, so that he can uh, be able to help those who are also men. All right? It is fitting that he be a man so that he could be tempted. God the Father, not temptable. All right? It was necessary for him to be made a man like us and be really tempted, not fake tempted. Really tempted and overcome it. So that he would be able to help those who are being tempted. So that's, that's generally the, the argument of the first two chapters. If we uh, read the first few verses of, of Hebrews 3, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who was appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. So now it's going to start talking some about Moses right? and, and the time of the Exodus. Yeah. I think just brief comment about I don't think Hebrews is saying that the words that came out of those prophets' mouths were deficient in some way. Right. It's comparing Jesus to the prophets themselves. The word came from God. Mm-hmm. Like they, I think they you're said right. what he told them to say. But just them as people they can't compare to Jesus. Right. Their purpose is much smaller than his. The messenger, right? Whether the messenger is the prophet or messenger is an angel, the messenger himself? Absolutely. I, I agree. Yeah. And just sometimes I think people, like, if Paul says something and Jesus says something, which one's higher? Jesus. <clears throat> yes, except if Paul gives a directive to the church, and Jesus gives a commandment to the church, or is one to be received more eagerly? Right. Like if we think of Scripture, right? If we think of Scripture, both are revelations of God, all right? Uh, so totally right on that level. On the level of Paul went to a church and said a thing, and that confl- conflicted with something that Jesus said, right? What would you say in that case? In that case, you'd go, oh yeah, well, 
don't listen to Paul, listen to Jesus, right? Because Paul in his earthly ministry, certainly not perfect, right? And did, did Paul in his earthly ministry ever say something wrong? Certainly, he was human, right? But you're right, from a revelatory standpoint, all right? Um, if we think about it in terms of time, all right? And that's part of the point here, because it's talking about not just what Jesus said, but the message that came from those who witnessed it as well, all right? Which Paul certainly fits within that, not in Jesus' earthly ministry, but later, all right? Uh, there's there's a this whole progressive revelation thing of some is revealed and more is revealed over time, all right? And ultimately, the final revelation comes in Christ, all right? Uh, was what was given through the prophets the, a message truly from God? Yes. And if you didn't listen to it, there's retribution for it. Uh, is what Jesus says as true as those things? Yes. However, is there more retribution for not listening to Jesus than there was prophet? I think the answer is yes. Because of the messenger, specifically. And the, that would also apply to, to Paul. Also, because the greatness of the revelation is is significantly more, right? The gospel, all right? The gospel is greater, all right? I think that's part of the message here. The gospel is greater than the message of the prophets, all right? It is greater and it is uh, more, um, more liberating. It is more powerful, right? It is more powerful than the message of the prophets. Not that there's anything wrong with the message of the prophets. It is more powerful. And therefore, to reject it, all right. To reject it is more disastrous for a person. Certainly because of who it came through, but also because it is greater. So I think more or both are or both are there, but I do think the primary one is is the whom, right? As as you were focusing on is is the the Jesus is the primary the fact that it came through him and then through Paul, but really the message about him, right? The reason why I mention it is people will say, like, there's some theological point that is based on Paul's writings, mm-hmm. but Jesus never addressed it. And people will say, Jesus didn't think it was important. Things like that. Like, yeah. Give higher regard to Jesus. Yeah, Paul said it, but Jesus didn't really say that. That's not the way we receive the writings of Paul. That's right. We don't. God wants us to obey those commands. Absolutely. Did everybody hear that? Mm -hmm. No. No? Um, Say it this way. So, who is greater, Jesus or Paul? Well, Jesus, clearly. We We all say that. However, the message that comes through Paul is a message from Jesus. Therefore, uh, we ought not contrast the message of Jesus with Paul. All right? um, they are both the message of Jesus. Right? Because when you think theologically and you think John, all right, the Gospel of John, all right, why did Jesus need to leave? Well, one reason why he needed to leave is it was fitting for him to send the Spirit. And one of the points of the Spirit was that we would be able to speak the message of Jesus through the Spirit. And so, therefore, um, the message of Paul is, ought not to be seen as less. <coughs> you better pay close attention to Paul, but not so much, uh, excuse me, better close, close, pay close attention to Jesus, but not necessarily Paul, is not appropriate. That is bad theology. Because it is the message of the same spirit that the Christ sent after his ascension. Yeah. 
remember that there's a couple of times when Paul specifically says, um, I'm saying this, not the Lord. Yeah. And to me, there's an implication in that that when I didn't say that, I was speaking to the Lord. I think you're right. Because now he's saying, yeah. oh, this is not Jesus. Yes. This is, this is Paul. You know, it, it, I think what's interesting about that is, I mean, they knew. They knew when they were receiving revelation, all right, sometimes. And they knew sometimes where they, they, weren't, they weren't quite sure. They were just like, we're going to figure this out, all right? We think about, for example, Peter and what we just went over in the Acts account where he, he was going to hang out with the, uh, with the Gentiles, all right? Uh, part of that was clear vision, all right? And Peter recognizes this. I got this vision from God. All right? That much you're like, that's revelation right there. All right? Um, but part of that was, all right, now let's also use it as an example. All right? The fact that the Gentiles got the Spirit. Oh, that's something we can learn from. All right? From God's, God's working. All right? And notice how that kind of fits in here. It's not just, for the author of Hebrews, it's not just the words that were said, it's also the acts that were done. All right? These things that Jesus said and those who heard from him, which, is he saying he's not one who heard from him? Is, who is the author of Hebrews? Who knows, right? God, knows, God and the author of Hebrews knows who the author of Hebrews is. Nobody else knows. Who, it's not just the words themselves, but also the words were confirmed in power, all right, by the things that God did and the gifts of the Spirit, all right? Just like in the example of, of, of Peter, God's witness, all right, the vision that God gave to Peter was confirmed right after that by, here's the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? And so that's an example of this exact same thing. God speaks, then God confirms. All right? God says, if you wait, I will give you the Spirit. And they wait, waiting for that. And then suddenly, the day of Pentecost comes, boom. They receive the Spirit as confirmation of that. And they receive gifts of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit Himself all right, at that point. So all of, this, all of those things ultimately fit together. And I... I don't know here if this is the author of Hebrews' way of saying, I'm not one of these people, or if he's just mentioning this as a factoid. Who knows? Yes? You know what's interesting is it happened his way before Christ's ministry with Simeon, right mm-hmm. after his birth, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah. But it was, it was here. Yeah. Yeah, and... You've got confirmations, right, of those messages. You've got, what was, I mean, Mary had a confirmation, right? Uh, you've, got, you, you've got Simeon, you, you've got... It's very detailed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then Anna after that. And the greatest prophet of all John. among men, John the Baptist himself, right? He leaps in the womb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Confirmations for sure. Would the fact that we have these books in the Bible be a good example of the validity of Scripture? Or because there's other books out there that people say, like the book of Enoch, should be canon, mm-hmm. that that kind of um, hijacks the validity of what God gave us? 
Sometimes, yeah, yeah, some people can make that argument. Um, so some people could, like, because they'll say, well, you know, it's a common notion, which is ridiculous. Common notion, right? Christianity was just using all sorts of different books, and then Constantine came along and said, all right, here's our books. You'll see this nonsense a lot. Here's the books we're going to use at the Council of Nicaea. All right, boom, here's the books we're going to use. And this is what we're going to stick with. All right, and so Christianity went from this wide variety to suddenly uh, empire is going to say, this is what Christianity is, and this is it's just historical nonsense. All right, um, some of those books were heretical, and the early church was like, Oh yeah, I, I read that book and it's it's wrong. You shouldn't read that book, right? Uh, that often happened. Uh, some books were debated. Shepherd of Hermas, great book, um, one of the most copied books in early Christianity, uh, copied more often than some of the some of the scriptures. Not ultimately considered canon, all right? For not it was clearly not of apostolic origin. It was later. The Book of Enoch. Why do people? Why do some people include that? Why does the Ethiopic Church include the Book of Enoch? Jude and Peter quote from it. Right? And so they're like, well, if, if he quoted, then we will put it in Scripture. It's not a terrible argument. We don't follow it. But it's not, we, we disagree. Uh, but it's not, it's not out there, like saying some of the Gnostic Gospels are, are, are uh, inspired. But because most of this is prophetically and spiritually inspired, that's why it's kind of considered our canon of Holy Scripture. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And you can kind of use that as proof to be like, here, this is why you consider this and not necessarily the book of Enoch or whatever the other books you mentioned. I just forgot all the names. Yeah, the, the, next, the next part of the conversation would be, okay, then why would we say these books, right? And that's when you would talk about, and that, at that point comes a history question of why were these books chosen, all right? And where does the authority of these books come from, all right? Is it, are they in here because the church chose them? And it's by their authority that they're in there, um, or as a most pro- many Protestants are very uncomfortable saying, um, or is it because the Spirit chose these and the church just sort of recognized it? Um, that's a more Protestant way of, cho- of of discussing that. It's a good question, and it's a very important question. Um, it would be hard to prove to someone that. You doesn't already agree with you that the fact that these books are chosen is an argument for the validity of these books. That would be that would be a difficult argument to make. Um, I think we should make the argument that this is the right set of books. I see no reason to think otherwise. Historically speaking, it's a good. It's it's not that hard to make the argument that these are the right books. Actually, it's quite. I think quite easy. And all the others are a little wishy-washy. Yeah, not necessarily wrong. Some of them are very wrong. Uh, some of them are like that sketch, right? Or as Lydia would say, that's sus. All right, that 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 book's sus. Um, some of them are like, oh, that's that's a good book, not scripture, and so we can read it. And get great value from it. Can we get value from First and Second Maccabees? I think so. Is it scripture? No. We don't treat it as such. All right. It is uh, 15 minutes till. Any last subjects of conversation? Because we will, at this point, stop.
All right. Uh, Lord willing, um, we will be returning to Hebrews very soon. All right. Next, uh, just in case you're wondering, uh, want to think about this for next time. Uh, Elliot asked the question, and I think it's a very good question, which is why we're going to take a lot of time to answer it. Uh, Elliot asked the question, you know, if you were to receive Paul's letters, all right, or one of Paul's letters, and it had the word sanctification in it, what would you think that word is? How would you know what that word meant? It's actually a really good question. And so I thought, that's worth spending some time on. So we will talk about what the word, for example, sanctification means, but we will also more generally talk about method of, okay, right, because explaining one word is useful, talking about methods so that we can really think through it rightly on cases of other words. Um, well, we'll talk about that. That word and method next Lord's Day. Um, then we'll return back to Hebrews. So if you want to spend some of your time in study on these things, uh, start reading the various Psalms and Old Testament scriptures that the book of Hebrews refers to in preparation for later. Okay? Great. Uh, Jonathan Simpson, will you please pray for us?